Good afternoon, good evening, good night. I hope you're well. I hope everything is good with you wherever you are. I hope you're not too hot, too cold, too wet or whatever you are. I hope it's just the right amount. It feels very strange to say it, but this is the last time I'll be saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night to you because today is the last show um, that I'll be doing with Teachers Talk Radio. It has been an incredible, incredible two years and uh, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not at least a lot emotional. Um, I've, I don't really know what to say about what has, has come from the, these wonderful two years, what I've learned, because it's just, it's so much. That I've learned so much from these two years that it's hard to put into words. Those of you who know me, those of you who have who have listened in the past will know that words aren't something I tend to struggle with. Uh, they're something that are usually fairly easy, which I think as a as a radio presenter, that's kind of important. Uh, but it's it's really hard to say. I've I've got so much out of these these wonderful two years and about eighty odd uh, eighty odd episodes speaking to over 60 professionals from from ELT and beyond um, and I've just learned so much I thought it was important today to to look at one of the areas I think I've grown the most in so we will very soon be hearing from three of ELT's leading voices in in the issue of LGBTQI plus rights um, but before that yeah I just want to say a huge thank you to anyone who's listened Anyone who has uh, joined in, tuned in, called in, messaged in, shared the shows, liked the shows, been in the shows, its it's been amazing. Um, the biggest hats off, of course, has to go to the wonderful Tom Rogers, who I'm sure is, oh, I've just, he has just actually come in, so I'm not going to say too many nice things about him. No, I'm only joking. Um, for giving me the chance to to come on and, and letting me uh, say the things that I wanted to say and speak to the people I wanted to speak to. It's been an incredible journey and and I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about my teaching, um, an awful lot about training as well. And it's been kind of like, well, free CPD for me, which I guess is a bit selfish really, but it's been absolutely wonderful. I've, I can I can remember every single show. Can I list them all for you? Probably not. That's quite a lot there. Um, but a huge thanks to everybody who has come in and shared their expertise with us and told us uh, all about what makes them tick as teachers and and what gets them through their days. Because at the end of the day, uh, that's one of the most important things as teachers to be able to get us through to the end of the day. And I hope that I have helped one or two of you. I hope that it's been a positive experience for everyone, well, as positive for you as it has been for me. I cannot again mention how good this has been for my own my own teaching and you know development in all sorts of areas and I highly recommend absolutely anyone who is a teacher to to get in touch with Teachers Talk Radio get on the blower uh, and and give it a try you will find you'll discover a lot of things about yourself um how you cope under pressure is one of them I mean I, I never realized that you know, it was, it could be so stressful. Uh, it, it really can be, don't get me wrong. Um, it's an amazing experience. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. But there are moments when you just panic when the audio doesn't work or when your your guest can't come in. And that's something super special about 
Teachers Talk Radio is the live aspect of it. There are many podcasts out there. There are there are quite a lot of educational podcasts out there, but there aren't very many that are live. This is something that, that really sets it apart from the rest. The, the hosts have to deal with all sorts of unforeseen circumstances, um, but you really should give it a try. And it gives the opportunity to people to come on in um, and and speak to people and learn all about all sorts of different aspects. I've learned so much from the other hosts, and I am going to miss my my Wednesday evenings uh, in my very hot and sweaty office. Uh, the Twilight Show, which has actually been the Twilight Show uh, at stages during the year. At the moment, it's height of summer show uh, because it's still about 30-odd degrees beating onto the front window. So it has been incredible. And before we go over to our, our wonderful guests, um, I would like to, to thank you all and thank everybody for, for making it possible. And a huge thanks as well to Joe, who always does the news. And I love the news because it always gives me that little bit extra to talk about in the show as well. Um, so we are going to listen to the news um, and speak to you all very shortly. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio news the telegraph reported this week on calls from some academics for schools to ban smartphones the article refers to devices as extremely dangerous over fears that they damage cognitive ability the research by academics in australia suggests that phones can be hazardous to children as they have a negative effect on learning, social skills and mental health. Dr Mark Williams, an honorary professor of cognitive neuroscience at Macquarie University in Sydney, is quoted as saying that having a phone in a pocket or bag decreases working memory capacity and that this means children don't learn as well. He goes on to say that there are zero benefits to smartphones in schools. Dr Williams went on to add that other research studies have shown that smartphones also link to causes of depression, anxiety and body dysmorphia. In Spain, phones have been banned from schools in some regions since 2015. University of Valencia academics found that pupils' test scores in some core subjects improved. In the USA, researchers at an Ohio hospital found that screen time led to lower brain functioning 
and a study in Malaysia published in 2020 found that the presence of a smartphone decreased the ability of undergraduates to accurately recall information. The current Department for Education and Advice in England is that head teachers are best placed to make decisions about phones and their use in school. The value of learning a foreign language is often discussed in schools, but in Germany, there have been calls for primary schools to scrap English lessons. The president of the German Teachers Association has said that schools should focus on German reading and maths instead. His remarks come as German students scored lower than their peers in other countries in the International Primary School Reading Survey. Heinz Peter Meidinger told German broadcasters that focusing on English was a wrong priority and that more attention should be paid to reading skills, writing skills and arithmetic. The BBC reports that MPs have launched an inquiry into Ofsted school inspections, looking at how useful they are to parents, governors and schools in England. Education Select Committee Chairman Robin Walker said Ofsted had an important role, but that there had been a groundswell of criticism in recent months. Ofsted itself has said it welcomed the inquiry, but that it had already made changes. MPs will consider how inspections affect the workload and well-being of school staff and pupils, and what contribution its reports make to helping schools improve. The issues likely to be discussed are the current system of awarding one overall grade to a school, and whether it is right to deem a school inadequate if inspectors raise concerns about child welfare. Parents, school governors, teachers and unions will be able to submit evidence alongside the government and Ofsted itself. Ofsted have already made changes, particularly to the complaints process, but the NAHT's Paul Whiteman said the changes didn't go far enough. Finally, in the West Midlands, the BBC reports that a 91-year-old former teacher is helping children develop their literacy skills from a living room. Diane Idols has five pupils she reads with over an online platform aimed at helping children progress with reading. She said the volunteering work had filled a huge hole in her life after the death of her husband. Mrs Idols volunteers through the Bookmark Reading Charity, which matches trained volunteers with primary children struggling with reading. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to answer the question we all want to know. What is the best presentation software? I do promise to give you an answer this week after leaving you on a cliffhanger, but... First, a quick recap for those who missed last week or fast-forwarded me. Considering most lessons delivered in a classroom contain some sort of presentation, it's possible that our students are facing up to a thousand presentations a year. This isn't a bad thing as we are presenting information and that's what the software is designed to do. However, like a display you spend ages on, how long does it take before it stops being noticed? Do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or do they know how to look like they are listening? Don't worry, there is no way I'm going to mention slants here if you're thinking that is where I was going next. The answer is there is no best presentation software. As I've already mentioned, there are lots of free and paid for presentation apps out there. The key to success is which one do you choose? This is where a lot of people go wrong. They ask someone else's opinion. What works for one may not work for another. The choice you make depend on two key words, purpose 
and audience. When you choose the method of presentation for a lesson, you need to be thinking about the best way to grab focus. In the end, our job is to encourage long-term remembering. So if the lesson is about remembering short text-based facts and you have powerful images that back up what you're saying, a looping PowerPoint presentation or equivalent may do the job. Do you want to embed a lot of web links and videos? Why not take a look at Wakelet, a free way to collect web links together and share them. You can present with it and then hand the link off for self-discovery. Most app developers today aim to make their apps intuitive, so changing things around shouldn't be too hard for you to get to grips with. And you may just find engagement rises, and in the end, that's what it's all about. What do you do to engage pupils? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much, Steve. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I wanted to make the last show uh, about something that I, I feel I've really developed in and I think I've really learned an awful lot about uh, in the last two years, probably the area that I have I've grown most in, and that is the area of LGBTQIA plus uh, representation and rights. Um, and so today I, I have a recording of three of the leading uh, figures within ELT. We had hoped to do it live today, but having one in Canada, one in Brazil and one in the United Kingdom, in the end, it became absolutely impossible for them to all speak live. But we did manage to get a recording of uh, Peter J. Fulliger, not to forget the J, absolutely, um, who has created a number of wonderful resources and has been, uh, yesterday did a a webinar for the British Council. And I want to say um, that today he came out and he had an apology for, for using some materials that at that moment uh, he wasn't able uh, and he didn't remember to put the details on the slide. So he's come out and he, he's apologised to that for that, which is absolutely fantastic because as a presenter myself, there are moments when you do forget to say that kind of thing. So fair, fair play to him. We've got Taylor Vega as well, who... Um, has recently started her 11th uh, cohort of her pronunciation course uh, that she does with Mark Hancock. And then we also have the author of How to Write Inclusive Materials, uh, Tyson Seaburn. So they, they all joined us. So tune in your ears uh, to what they said um, and feel free to drop your ideas into the chat and let us know what you think. We are here with three superstars of ELT. We've got Taylor Vega, Tyson Seaburn, and Peter J. Fulliger. Don't forget the J there, of course. Um, and, and we're here to talk about, well, everything really. But I'm going to start with a question to everybody. But first, I'm going to say hello. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Hey. Thank you for having us. There you go. Just evidence that they are really here. Um, so I'm going to start with it with a a fairly big question. Um, they're all going to be big questions, by the way. Uh, I'd like to know how far has ELT come in terms of LGBTQI plus representation? And I'm going to start in reverse register order with um, with Taylor. So if you'd like to start on that, how how far do you think we've come? I would say that definitely not very far. I remember when I was a beginner teacher using a book called Framework from Ben, ben Goldstein, who's an author that I really like. 
and a person who really advocates for LGBT rights and inclusivity. And I remember having like a pride flag. I think it was a lesson about flags. I can't really remember. And that was, I don't know, 15, maybe 18 years ago. And nowadays, I don't think we, we've had much progress besides maybe a very timid pride flag. And um, whenever there is any kind of mention in materials specifically, it's usually um, just the G or the L, the other letters of this very big, inclusive and beautiful acronym. They're never included. So we are definitely, I think, far behind. Yeah, what do you think, Tyson? I think if you like look at it in terms of um, interest versus like practical change, there's a different answer. So I would argue that since the you know the six or seven years that I've really been focusing on this topic myself and giving talks and books and all that kind of stuff, the number of people who are interested and in the conferences that um, um, have LGBTQ focused presentations and things like that has definitely increased. So I would definitely say the awareness is there. There's a lot of interest in, you know, how do I make better materials and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it does, it has kind of stayed there, right? It hasn't really progressed super um, much on a practical level. So that kind of change is actually, you know, um, moving at a glacial pace, I would say. And so while there are publishers now, I think, who um, have moved beyond kind of dismissing what we're saying um, as not practical or whatever, and they are sort of exploring it a little bit, the actual production of materials is relegated to, you know, the people in this room, for example, or, you know, people who are doing things independently. So that's how I would answer that. And Peter? Mm, yes, I, I think I have to agree with both Tyson and Taylor. Um, um, Tyson's certainly right in saying that the awareness and possibly even the motivation um, is there with publishers and with teachers. Um, so there's a lot of talking about it and trying to figure out how to represent more LGBTQIA plus identities. But Taylor's also right in saying that within the materials themselves, there is very rarely any kind of representation at all. Um, and I think probably, well, there, I mean, there are some representations, but they would tend to be problematic. Um, they would tend to be written from a heteronormative perspective. Um, that maybe doesn't always get it right. Um, but I do think that publishers are starting to listen. Um, but as we know, the publishing process is quite slow anyway. And so even if publishers are maybe talking about including um, more identities now, we may not actually see those in materials for maybe two, three, four years. Um, so, yes, I agree both um, Tyson and Taylor, but um, I just think we haven't made enough progress yet. Mm -hmm. um, we need more people to make 
independent resources, I think, so that people at least have a place to go and get materials. Um, but yeah, things things are moving, but yeah, like a very tired turtle, really. Now, <laughs> from, from where I from where I sit, stand, am placed, uh, it does look to me that you know things are changing mostly because of social media. Um, the, so it is the individuals, but but I live in an echo chamber of places where I want to see these things, I want to hear these things, you know. So. So I can see Tyson's now two-year-old book. He was on a year ago to celebrate its one-year birthday, and you know now it's his two-year. So happy birthday or books day! Thank you very much on behalf of the book. Oh, it's right there. Oh, I think yeah. What's what's the name of it, Tyson? And where can we get it? Oh, that's a very good question, Peter. <laughs> very uh, welcome. It's good. I mean, not that visual learners know. Um, it's how to write inclusive material. Um, published through ELT Teacher to Writer, and you can pretty much Google me and you'll find a link to it because I promote it a lot, but um, otherwise it will be on the publisher's website or you can get it off of Amazon. Or, you know, I'll hope, hope the places out there. And is it physical and digital as well? Yeah, it's both. I, I mean, on that, I personally like the paperback copy myself. It feels like a real book, which to me is more tactile for a teacher uh, and so i would recommend that that but on a you know very sustainable level perhaps digital uh, books are books too tyson digital books are books too i know but as an author it's just it's one thing to have the thing in front of you i think that's the, the it really is i like touching it Peter, I think, you know, when I leave this this seat, I think there's a, I think I've left it warm for you. That was absolutely beautiful what you did there. <laughs> segue in there. And I'm gonna go from that segue to, to from talking about Tyson's book to to mentioning, you know, we as we mentioned, individuals who are making these materials. Your good self, you have a a whole bunch of materials out there, don't you? Um, which which are available. And how can we get hold of those, Peter? Well, Harry, now seeing as you asked. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, I, th I think of it as a small collection, um, really. I only started really doing them about a year and a bit ago. Um, but I kind of really, I mean, as Taylor said earlier, a lot of materials that do feature identities only focus on the L and the G. And I wanted to kind of change that a bit with my own independent materials. Um, so there's some B in there, there's some T, there's A, there's plus in there. I still need to get to I, though. I still need to work that in. Um, but yeah, people can download them uh, from my website, which is uh, my wonderful name, which is Peter J, don't forget the J, fulliger.co.uk. Um, and I do post about them quite a bit as well. So yes, but thank you very much for for reminding me. Well, on a on a more sort of um, authentic way of speaking here, I'm just going to say that when anybody ever asks me, you know, are there resources out there that are created, you know, already made? Because my book is meant is the pre-production stage, right? It's trying to help people create these materials. Um, mm. And I haven't been had the time really to honestly to spend 
creating the materials myself, certainly not ones that I are outside of my own classroom context. Um, but anyway, my point was, is yours is uh, Peter is one of the ones who obviously comes to mind. And so, um, you know, it just speaks to the fact that there's so few out there that, uh, yeah. you know, the, the recommendations are like, oh, Peter, you know, like that's the first one that you think of because that yours is the most visible at this point. And it would be yeah. great if we had more and more. Out there well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think with um, using the information from um, how to write inclusive materials, teachers with any identity will be able to produce their own materials independently. And I think it's it's a great kind of foundation kind of publication to be able to to see many more independently published materials. I think I, hope so. I think for me, one of the 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 kind of weird thing for me is a lot of teachers are scared to take that step because you know you know I'm straight uh you know I I don't know how how the LGBTQI community feel I don't know so how can I write anything about it this, this isn't how I feel so how can I write about it you know and then I kind of stop and think yeah but I've also written things about other stuff that I don't really know about so a great thing to do there is a bit of research or you know speak to your students ask them how they feel or what they'd like to know because something and it's very similar with in stuff like sustainability our students particularly you know gen z students know an awful lot more than we do about it so going into the classroom and sort of switching it over and saying hey let's flip the classroom what do you know or what would you like to know what can we do together how can we learn because it it doesn't feel like publishers are doing anywhere near enough you know they they are they are having um, people look at their materials. They are having people go through their materials and see, you know, is that okay? Is that? But it's not there. There's not enough stuff there. And the way digital materials are now, they could say tomorrow. They could say, Peter, I want you to write this, and I'm going to post it now. Or they could say, Taylor, we need this really badly. Write it so we can put it out there, and it can go out there. And Something that actually I was speaking to Peter about the other day and, and it struck me, um, it is Pride Month. Um, I didn't realize that when I organized this, by the way, this conversation. Um, and it does feel a bit like when it comes to Pride Month, suddenly, you know, it's the change your logo, you know, get the pride flag on the logo and quick, call, call all the people that we know from the LGBTQR community so we can talk to them and we can push them to the front for this month. And then next month we'll do plastic free July and everything will be fine. So it sometimes feels like a bit of tokenism. I, I was wondering how, um, what our, our wonderful panel thought about that. I'm going to go to Taylor because you've been quiet for a while. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you. And, um, but sadly, I, th I think we see that a lot with companies, other companies that are not in the, are not part of the educational um, industry. And when it comes to education, I don't know about you folks, but I would love to see like a, a rainbow uh, sticker in one of those publishers profile or schools and them really posting something on social media. Even though 
when other companies do that, most of the time it is really, as you said, because of they see us as a token, as a way to make more money. And um, but at the same time, you see, there is a little bit of benefit in that because they understand that we are productive members of society, that we have money to spend and uh, um, the LGBT plus community usually has a lot more money to spend actually because we tend to have fewer children <laughs> uh so that that's good because it shows other people for instance like my mother who's six to nine years old and she's on social media and she's exposed to those things and she says those uh she sees those uh, pride flags and and she feels okay this is very nice companies are doing that but at the same time i wish there was more meaningful work being done. What do you guys uh, think? I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the the bottom line is the bar is so low for what is yeah. like um, uh, helpful or meaningful to us as a community by the wider society that um, I myself, I mean, having grown up at a time when there was no representation or pride flags or anything visible, those things by companies, hey, I'll take it because it's better than zero. And that is that is the low bar that I'm talking about, right? Like, I'm super glad that we have um, companies that plaster themselves in, in pride uh, paraphernalia. And, you know, our prime minister, at least in my country, comes out and talks about it. And, and the school boards raise the flag. Like, that's I feel really good about that, just be, more or less because I didn't grow up in a time where that was even happening. So even though it can be tokenized, and maybe it isn't throughout the year as much as we would like, um, it still does reach people in our community as like a visible reminder that, you know, actually, at least, you know, some of the time, we're forefront um, and represented and, and so on and so forth. So there's that aspect to it that I I would be unhappy if that went away, let's put it that mm -hmm. way. But for sure, um, the, the fact is, is that we exist as a community 365 days a year and um, none of the work that any of us do should be solely highlighted this month. I mean, obviously none of us do that, right? We keep posting stuff every day of every year. <laughs> You know, all year long, and that's just, I think, the way that some you know, things go. Is we we have a month to celebrate something for the wider population, and then you know, hopefully, some of that trickles out the rest of the year. Peter, would you like to add anything, or you look? Yeah, a bit I pensive. think I'm. Yes, I don't. No one can see it though, but um, I am looking rather pensive. Um, yeah, again, I would I would agree. Um, I think when it comes to ELT I did kind of have a look at the beginning of the month to see which companies were actually going to change their logo or um, mention it and I have to say that it's very few of them um, which I find a little disappointing um, however somebody did point out to me that perhaps there might be some reasons for that so maybe they don't want to be seen as hypocritical because there aren't LGBT plus identities in their course books. 
um, or maybe even B, they're scared about getting any backlash. Okay. Um, yeah, I think so, <laughs> yeah. But I have seen one um, ELT company kind of take that on the chin and be very um, good about responding to harassment and abuse. But I also think that during Pride Month, it's a perfect opportunity for any company, not just in ELT, um, even if they don't necessarily have external or show support for the community, it gives them a, an opportunity to be able to say what they're going to do for the the uh, the community is kind of to make a commitment about what they plan to do. So it could be a publisher saying, um, we are celebrating Pride Month and this is what we have planned coming up in our course books. I don't think it's ever gonna happen, but I think I kind of living in a bit of an ideal world. Um, but yeah, I think it's true to remember that we are part of the community all, all year round. We're not just a gay for June. Um, so yeah, I think there needs to be like a little bit of a gun. Gay for June. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, oh, can I go ahead, yeah. I think the um the point we're making about publishers or ELT organizations or whomever, you know, on one point on one way, um Pride Month is sort of almost the safest time for any of those companies to do a a focus on LGBTQ authors or, um, I mean, maybe not materials because they don't really exist, but um, yeah. maybe, you know, their policies or just the pride flag alone, because there's sort of this global ass assumption that, you know, it's pride and if you're going to do it at any time of the year, it would, now would be the time to do it. Um, the other thing that I, the other thing that I hear as a criticism, and actually this is from a wider population, and maybe in in the LGBTQ community itself as well, is um, how can people like me or us work with organizations who are actively either not promoting LGBTQ year-round or doing policies that you know are tokenistic or whatever and do these things during Pride Month. And um, I think it's important for us to address that because I myself, you know, am going to do, you know, a panel later this month for an organization that has been criticized for these exact problems. And one thing I always tell everybody when they criticize me about this thing is I'm going to use whatever platform there is that's public to spread my gospel as far as I can. And if that involves using the platform of the company or the organization itself, that has a wide reach and despite its you know problematic perspectives the rest of the time i'm going to use them to propagate you know better representation and have an inclusive stuff and so i feel as though that is the justification if you want to have one for why i would speak on this company's panel or that company's webinar or whatever because the reach they have are into markets that i probably don't have a reach into very easily. And I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say, um, regardless of whether they like it or not, you know? So that's, I do think there's value in using 
the the platforms that were given, even if those platforms themselves are generally problematic. It would be a bit like if Coca-Cola asked me to go and speak about plastic pollution, that kind of thing. You know, I, yeah, it would I be hate like them that. with a passion. You would have to but, make that choice, obviously, yeah. right? But I mean, for me, um, I I do think we need to reach as wide an audience as possible. At least I feel I need to do that. And so I'm going to take advantage of wherever I can to do that. Yeah, the the, the reason I thought about the, the Pride logo was because back in... 2019, 2020. Um, everyone remembers 2020, right? Nothing big happened that year. Um, but, but I was working for a, you know, a fairly large publisher. And at the start of June, we got a message from the, the head of sales and marketing saying, remember, you have to change your email signature now. You know, you have to use the the Pride logo version for your emails. This was at the start of June. Then at the end, said, don't forget to change your email logos back. Now, for me, I didn't mind the one at the start. That's fine. But at the end, like, what? Oh. Didn't, didn't you know we all stopped being gay at the end of June? I forgot that. That was it. Gay yeah. for June only. That was it. But there, there are other, Peter, there are other people in the community. It's not just L's and G's, Peter. Come on. This is very true. There you go. So yeah, it, it it really that really kind of wound me up. Um, it really, uh, so yeah, I, I left my email signature there um, until the end of my contract, which ended in the September of that year. Um, and yeah, I didn't go back to working um, for them. I have worked with them since, but anyway, uh, that's something else. There there are very few materials, and you did put a post out. It was probably about a year or so ago, Peter, when you asked about. Um, publishers and and the different materials they had um and it reminded me of the, the the digital learning associates dla who do have a a vlog with um with somebody from the trans community on there and that's fantastic and i believe that's used by nile and some other um companies as well but you didn't get a whole bunch of other responses did you there wasn't a rush of people saying yes Go to page 17 in this book where we show, you know, a family with with two male parents or go to this book here where that didn't happen. No, I, I, I kind of knew. I think we all knew that that was going to happen. Um, but I just kind of wanted to do it as a little bit of an experiment just to see whether any publishers actually would respond, which. Come on, I'm I'm a fairly small person in ELT I wasn't expecting very much ever um but yeah it was the um the the silence that that kind of spoke volumes really and just proved that we all know um that the LGBTQIA plus community remains invisible in ELT can I just ask a clarifying question because I don't I don't fully remember this but um, were you looking for examples of currently published materials or like companies to say, we're going to do this and this is when it's going to happen? I think it was worded for current, but also for potential. And I remember you commenting on it saying, don't expect much. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm not going to expect much from it. And And we, well, you were right. We were all right. Yeah. I didn't get really anything. I think I got something from Macmillan, I think, that told me to go and look at One Stop English. 
There you go. Did you? I did. I'm. You had to get through the subscription first and the paywall before you. Um, but I, I do believe that there are, you know, they are taking steps and, and speaking to to people and, um, you know, consultants and so on. To, I, can, to... I mean, for, to back you up on that claim, I mean, just at ISFL alone, this was the first year for me that I had people like representatives from different publishers and different teaching organizations actually come up to me afterwards and want to talk. So you know, that has never happened before. People, every time I've given a talk at ISFL or anywhere, basically, it's kind of like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, I really hope we can do something in the future. But this time, you know, there were actual concrete people that wanted to talk. And when I talked, I have to admit, I don't think they necessarily got what they wanted to hear from me. You know, it was more like, just like, this is the truth of the situation and you're contributing to it. Um, I'm not going to just, you know, come and do a talk and that'll be the end of it. No, we need follow-up, we need concrete things. So, but my point is, is that, you know, there was definitely more direct interest from my perspective this year than previous years. And maybe this is just sort of a natural cycle of the way things are going. Like it took years and years for them to get past kind of like, ah, oh, this'll pass. And it hasn't. And, um, maybe now they're starting to go okay well let's see what can we do that's practical and i have realized that very little from their perspective of what they can do that is practical but even if they do agree to something you know the life cycle of a of a project you know if it were to start talking about it at isfl it wouldn't get sort of made or even started writing until probably later this year and then you know another year or two years after that to be published so we're not going to see anything for years until we do it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to know, um, you know, we're all people in ELT. We all know other people in ELT. Um, what can, can we do um, in, in general? What can we do in ELT? You know, that us solo voices, um, I know we all have very different solo voices. Um, we all have very different ideas. I almost said agendas then, but I don't want to use the word agenda because we know how that comes across, doesn't it? Some of those collocations there. Um, we, we all have different ideas um, of what we would like to do. I'd like to know how everyone can can help, how everyone can add their, their grain of salt. And again, I'm going to go to, to Taylor there to start us uh -huh. off. I think the first thing is to just not be afraid. And I understand publishers and where they come from and other companies because they're basically afraid of um, of the backlash and uh, the backlash from students. I think the people in ELT themselves, I think we are quite uh, okay with LGBT plus uh, issues, but I think they, they're openly afraid of the students. So my recommendation would be not to not be afraid to talk about uh, LGBTQIA plus issues in class. And you don't need to be an expert or anything. You just need to not tolerate certain things. So just like you wouldn't normally, at least I want to believe that nobody in 2023 would tolerate um, racism 
I want them not to tolerate transphobia and uh, biphobia and homophobia, you see? So I think that's where we start, by not being afraid to, to let our students know that there are people who exist and they might not live the way that our students think is right. And that is fine because I'm, I'm not interested in personal beliefs. I, I'm not really interested in uh, any of that, but I'm interested in people being respected and people not being murdered. And um, I feel that's a pretty solid uh, justification in any context. Like we can't talk about people this way or whether you agree or not, doesn't really matter. This person exists and they have rights and they need to be respected and acknowledged. Yeah, I think like for me personally, I've I've grown a lot in the last two or three years because I've been listening to other people. I've been learning from other people. I've, you know, I've had wonderful people on this show um, who have taught me an awful lot. Um, and I've followed through, you know, various social media routes um, to be able to improve my knowledge. But for me, fundamentally, at the at the base of everything has always been my hatred of intolerance, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I, I honestly... I, I don't mind how anybody wants to live their life, like as long as they are happy and they're not hurting someone else. That for me mm-hmm. and the planet. Um, yeah, you start hurting the planet, you, you got problems with me. So, <laughs> you know, don't hurt other people, don't hurt the planet. So for me, that fundamentally is where it should all begin. But also as a teacher, there should be a place that we want to learn more. We should always want to grow. And it should be into things that, you know, maybe we're not, necessarily knowledgeable about so that maybe makes us uncomfortable you know I don't know as much as I want to know about um the LGBTQIA plus community and I hate that I have to say so many letters every time so I'm going to say the community um and there are times when I get nervous and I don't really know what to say because I'm afraid of saying something wrong but at the base of it all fundamentally it's not okay to be horrible to somebody because of who they are. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't agree with you more there, Taylor. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump down to my bottom left corner, which to me is Peter. Um, I don't know who it is to you, but to me it's Peter. So Peter, what what can we do? It's very odd. You're my bottom left as well. That's very strange. Um, okay. <laughs> what can we do? I think what Taylor said is is super it's super important um just to respect and i think that's probably the key thing um if i think for allies maybe within the elt community um is again to not be afraid to if we're talking to editors and writers for example to keep learning about the community to keep pushing for better inclusion within the materials that they're writing um for teachers to start representing the community in their classrooms so use the materials that the good materials that do exist that are out there um to help to foster this this kind of community of of respect and understanding and of awareness that 
the LGBTQA plus community does exist. We're not going anywhere. Um, we're not hurting anyone. We we are usual people doing usual jobs, doing usual things, just like we're, I mean, we're all human, really. Um, so I think to keep trying to foster that, that um, the, the understanding and the respect within their classes and within materials. And if people are kind of worried about making a mistake, um, there's always people that you can ask. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think Taylor, Taylor was completely right by saying, yeah, it's all about respect. This is, this is Tyson to me, so I'm pointing towards Tyson. I'm probably, for Tyson, I'm probably pointing <laughs> towards Taylor, but this is Tyson for me. Um, yeah, I mean, both of you hit on, you know, obvious points that I think are, are true. You know, one thing that struck me while all of you were talking, particularly Harry, actually, um, was um, going back to what I said about the low bar, you know, the fact that we need to just not be killed or be tolerated is an extremely low bar for an expectation. Um, I want more than that, personally. I, I don't want to be tolerated. Uh, I want to be valued and, um, you know, like anybody else in, in terms of any identity that's out there. And so one thing I would recommend for every everybody, even within the LGBTQ community itself, is you know, don't don't whitewash yourself or you know, beige yourself, you know, to appeal to the masses better. Be who you are, because there's a wide variety of queer people out there, not simply the one to, you know, get married and have the daily life that's the same as every single other you know, heteronormative expectation. There's a wide variety, and not all of those varieties need to be recognized and valued, and, and so on. And so, you know, one of the one of the one of the reasons I love being queer, quite honestly, is that I don't have to subscribe to any of those sort of expectations that you know a wider heteronormative community feels they need to. They they don't either, but you know, quite often they feel they need to. So I'm just going to be who I am, and I'm going to rep represent myself uncensored and other people in our community just as they are too, you know, and yes, there's an appropriate market for this and that and so on. Just like when we're looking at drag shows, you know, there's an 18 plus drag show that's for this group of people. And then there's a family related sort of drag brunch or story time for kids, you know, that's a different group of people. So there's a, you know, that range as well. But the other thing I think, you know, as you were mentioning too, Harry was, when it comes to being afraid of making a mistake or, you know, I don't know enough or um, all those things that I can say the same thing. Like I'm not, I think all three, all three of us probably would say we're not like super experts on every single type of queer person that's out there. Absolutely. Yeah, we're continuously yeah. learning ourselves. And that is the primary thing that all three of us, I think, have said is we just need to listen like listen to people and their experiences and don't dismiss those things because you're not familiar with them. Listen to them and use our experiences um, as inspiration for you know growing and making materials and all sorts of things rather than just sticking to the way things have always been. 
Um, I'm going to go back to another post of Peter's. Um, it feels like social Peter's social media posts uh, have, been, have been very um, big for me. Um, but just, I think it was yesterday when you posted the the head of the the school board her her outrage at the the the, the protest for the for the book um, that that mentioned about you know families can have two dads or two mums that one sentence and the passion in that was was it was it was brilliant and then. The great thing about that is I watched that. So, you know, it's helped my algorithm. Um, and today it showed me that in in Illinois, they have um, put a law out that books can't be banned from schools or libraries because that is, you know, just obvious censorship and very clear exclusion. Because as, as far as I guess, uh, now I, I can't be 100% certain. No, no, I can be 100% certain. But a book can't make someone gay now i'm i'm, I'm pretty sure like <laughs> I've, I've read lots of books i've seen all sorts of videos um and you know i've tried yeah, yeah exactly no matter how much my mum wanted me to grow up to be gay like there's no way there well, was no, no way she could force me either did it right so yeah um this idea of banning books um i want to know how we <laughs> Obviously, we we we're not particularly keen on it for for any uh, respect. But um, yeah, what was it that that really appealed to you about that video, Peter? What was it that kind of well, it, it, oh, it made me cry, basically. Obviously, so <laughs> it was it was in, in, in an incredible video. What was it for you? I think that it was somebody just being so authentically open and honest and vocal and showing emotion connected to this ridiculous ridiculous banning of books for just one sentence that's what i'm getting i'm getting kind of as well now um but i don't think i could put it as eloquently as she did um i don't know whether everyone else has seen the video but um it's it's incredible and I think it was just the way that she she kept going and whatever she was saying was the truth. It was the complete truth. I mean, no book can change somebody's identity. Um, if somebody is going to read this, that particular book that was about families, and it, I think it just so happened to mention that some families may have two mummies, some families may have two daddies. I mean, I don't think it even mentioned about solo parents or single parents or adopted or any different type of family. But it was that sentence that made the book banned. And it's it's beyond belief. And I think it was just her passion. And oh, she was such such a woman <laughs> that I'll, i just I'll had to link share. in the description below when when uh, when we publish um and yeah for me like it can only be a good thing if somebody identifies with that moment in that book you know it's never gonna you know books films whatever they can't turn somebody to be something they aren't it's not gonna happen you know it, all it can do is help represent somebody or help open somebody's eyes to the fact that of that existence i remember when um Encanto came out last year and everyone was like wow now I can see I can feel represented you know there were people from you know, like the Latin community saying wow this is brilliant I can see myself in a film it didn't yeah, have exactly. people saying 
This is outrageous. Disney are making people want to be Latino. This is terrible. How could they do such a thing? This is raw. Now all of the children in my school suddenly want to be Latino. No, it doesn't. There was no mention of that. There was only positive things there. Um, I mean, obviously we've had the Little Mermaid recently. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I, I know Taylor has, so Taylor's going to tell us about it's that. It's so perfect. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, some of the arguments were, you know, about the the sunlight wouldn't reach far enough down into the ocean for for that. It's like it's a human and a fish. That's not real anyway. What, what, what does it matter what color the human fish is? The human fish could be purple for all I care. It's a human fish. They're not real. Um, so yeah, Taylor, what can you tell us more about the movie? Um, and yeah, how it made you feel. Well, the thing about The Little Mermaid is that mermaids are known to be kind of a thing in the trans community, because especially growing up, many kids, um, they feel this disconnect. Um, of course, not every trans person feels this disconnect. It feels like they fit into this narrative of the wrong body or anything, but some people do, and they relate to that. So the thing about mermaids is that they're half human, half fish, and uh, in the trans community, many people, especially when they're kids, they really like the idea of mermaids because it's basically a representation of who they are. So that kind of film is always going to hit differently for me, plus the fact that The Little Mermaid is Black, so it's also super cool. And uh, in the film, and I don't remember really how it was in the previous version with the with the white Ariel, but this time the prince he's from he's adopted and he's from a, a black family, so the queen is black herself. So it's showing like or trying to show like black excellence. So that's also pretty cool to me. So yeah, I I usually don't like Disney, but I love that film. I think the film is just really great. That well, I had that, that had never ever occurred to me. Like that had never occurred to me, but it makes perfect sense. Like that was my my jaw literally dropped in that moment. There, I was like, I'd never, that had never come to my mind. That's so. Thank you um, for that. You, you left me dumbfounded no for a moment there. So, but the, the funny thing is, is that sometimes you see, obviously, the Little Mermaid wasn't even though. Ursula is inspired and based on a uh, on a drag queen on divine a drag queen who actually existed and was very famous in in the United States there are other parts of the film other other uh, scenes that really I think a lot of trans people could relate to for instance when uh, the king sees uh, Ariel's collection from from above and then he he, he breaks and he breaks everything and and um that maybe has happened to a lot of trans people like uh the parents saying you can't you can't play with this this is too masculine uh you're supposed to be a girl or yeah this is too feminine you have to be a boy so these nuances that uh you have in the film that are not meant to be probably uh for the trans community but at the end of the day <laughs> We can take everything that we can get. That's. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder what the producers 
the writers caught this time around going intentionally versus not. You know, the um, the thing that this reminds me of is, um, you know, when when I grew up, I as you can see, my idol was Wonder Woman, <laughs> and I preferred Barbies, and I preferred, you know, to play skip and house and stuff like that with the girls. I'm not trans, but um, certainly I identify with the idea that you know being condemned for preferring these gendered things that are not really gendered at all. You know, that's mm -hmm. just a social construct. And my mom was, you know, conservative for sure in her own way. Um, but in this particular scenario, she defended me to like the end of the earth when people criticized me for playing with Barbies and things like that. And it just shows, you know, I mean, I'm going off track a little bit from what you said, but it, it shows, um, how great it is to have some sort of supporter in there when you know when you're doing something that is non-conformative, you know, um, as a kid, and that was kind of the only way. So I can imagine, you know, kids um, watching this Little Mermaid now, or any number of sort of, um, well, maybe any number might be exaggerating, but certainly a number of programs now are probably going like, "Wow, it's so amazing to, you know, see this." This variety and these people that represent me, or reading it through a lens, you know, like a, a trans lens or a, a, a gay lens or whatever, you know, um, I think uh, it's something that we all do. Um, and it's great when it's intentional as well. That's, it's, um, I, that's really, really cool to, to think of that because, you know, I've got a daughter, as you, you may or may not know, um, <laughs> who's constantly all over my social media. So you probably do know. Um, powerhouse speaker yeah <laughs> there you go exactly um you know i know that you all follow me because i follow you back um anyway <laughs> so as she was you know growing up and she's nine now nearly 10 she's 10 on friday actually next friday um week today crikey already 10 anyway but she has never been like a, a girly girl she's never been she doesn't like pink um i don't know why it frustrates me because i love pink um but she doesn't like pink and you know she rarely wants to play with dolls she likes you know goes out and plays football she's obsessed with pokemon um but you know she she does love wearing dresses sometimes but she also loves wearing shorts and i think the fact that my wife and i have never in any way or any way shape or form said that anything was right or wrong for her to do or play with then you know, we can go up to her room one day and she'll be sitting there reading Harry Potter. We can go up the next day, she'll be making bracelets for her friends. Um, because she just does what's fun for her. And she hasn't had people saying to her, no, this is right, no, this is wrong. And the amount of times that I've been into toy shops here in Spain and, you know, there'll be a little girl will go over to the boys section and pick up a dinosaur and the grandma will say, oh, that's a dinosaur, that's for boys. What? That is not fair. Dinosaurs are awesome. Dinosaurs should be for absolutely everybody. And anyone who doesn't mm -hmm. like dinosaurs, then unlucky because they're super cool. Um, I wonder if the toy. I wonder if the toy shops would actually kind of make their shops or their stores completely genderless and not have a boys section, a girls section, and then just have a toy section because mm -hmm. that's really what it should be. 
Yeah, I've never I'm talked to a toy producer store, but I mean, I can imagine they're going to say similar things that we hear, right? Which is, well, the parents will go, where's the girls section? Where's the boys section? Or, you know, the market wants this or whatever. Whole, you know, it's you know, causing this version of things. You know, but I mean, Harry, like you're talking about a toy. Here, believe it or not, there are places like in Walmart, for example, where you'll have like pens that are girl pens <laughs> and boy pens. Like it's not, it's not even as like, you know, benign as toys almost. It's like something super stupid, you know, to be gendered, but it still happens. Yeah, I mean, there's, I understand in, in um, like some respects in terms of like, shoe shape because occasionally feet are a different shape in terms of like football boots for example like one of the things that's recently come to light in terms of you know female football is the foot shape is different so there are a number more injuries but because female footballers have been forced to wear boots that are made for men's feet for years and years and years where it hasn't been you know made to the the right shape so in those very like limited respects, I can under understand. But like my daughter's clothes choice is is usually, you know, we, we, most of our clothes we buy secondhand anyway, so we'll buy them online. And I'd, I'd say it is probably about fifty fifty where she goes to the the boys section and and buys boys clothes because she likes that t shirt more. You know, that t shirt's got a dinosaur on it. She doesn't really like fairies, but she really likes those sequin ones, you know, the ones that you can push down and then pull up again and they change. Mm -hmm. She loves those ones though, but you can't find those in a boys section. So but, yeah. You know, like even just to further this discussion slightly beyond the gender issue, right? We still need to like get rid of the boys section or girls section, even in terms of like what you're talking about as biological differences, because you know, there are envy people out there who, you know, are neither. And mm -hmm. to still say, okay, well, there needs to be girls shoes because girls' feet are this way or whatever. That's still, you know, a misnomer at this point. And, um, you know, there's lots of trans people who are, you know, different as well. So you can't, and even myself, like um, a cisgender guy, like my foot is got a huge arch, which is typically more feminine, actually. I don't know why I have that, but it, I don't fit into particular shoes that are in the men's section or women's section for that matter. They need a new section. So, you know, all of those things, we need to wipe them out and try really cognizantly to get rid of all gender related. Yeah. Kind of thing. I, could, I couldn't agree more. Um, and we are very close to running out of time. So um, we started talking about ELT, funnily enough. Um, so I'm going to circle back <laughs> around to ELT, um, and Tyson, I never want you to shut up ever. Um, in fact, I want you to keep talking. He put in the chat that he'll shut up, but we don't want him to shut up. Keep saying, keep speaking, um, because we need your voice. Um, so let's circle back to ELT. We've talked a bit about what we can do as, as individuals in ELT. We've talked a bit about um what's how far elt has come so let's go now for for the big one what is it that publishers need to do in elt to make sure that the community is properly represented and 
there is a way for people to feel a connection to the materials. So what can they do beyond this baseline of zero, which, you know, they're starting with, with their, their flag. So what do they need to do? And I'm going to start with this time. We'll go in alphabetical order from the start of the alphabet. So we'll start with Peter. Um, I think the first thing that publishers can do is listen. Um, listen to the community not just the l and the g but all of the community um because we all have different and unique voices even within the l even within the g even within the t we all have unique voices um and so in order for publishers to represent the community they'll need to get a, a diverse range of voices from within the community to be able to help guide them in the right direction. I think that's the very first thing that I would say, um, because even just going to, to one person who may be, I don't know, who may be bisexual is not enough to represent the whole community. So that's the very first thing. They need to listen to people's voices, uh, multiple voices. Um, I think they need to also be aware of, of what is happening around the world in different countries to people within the community, specifically at the moment, and it's been going on for, for so long, but the, the continued attacks on the trans community, on the, the non-binary community is uh, beyond words, but... The, I think the publisher needs to recognise that this kind of thing is happening and that they actually have a duty within their educational establishment to help stop the prejudice, to help stop the discrimination, to help stop harassment, because people within the LGBTQIA plus community are all human beings. We exist within the world and for me it all starts with education and in the uk at least i think that there is some progress in kind of mainstream education um but even that is being attacked at the moment as well um but elt efl esol all different strands of it i think need to catch up they need awareness of what is happening to people within the community and listen to listen to the community. And that's the, the biggest thing I can say. Brilliant. Tough fact to follow there, Tyson. Yes. Um, for sure. But I mean, I mean, the next thing is pay us. Hire us to work for your company and do the writing. And not just be consultants, but actual writers. And um, you know, when you do that, don't then come to us and say, well, here's all of our rules and these rules stop you from doing all these things that you want. Like just scrap that and listen to us as Peter's saying, because those rules are what's causing the problem in the first place and compromising our values or our identities or whatever to appeal to a wide market is not the way to go in order to better represent. So yeah, listen to us, but also um, pay us. Thanks. 
Excellent. And um, a final thought from, from you there, Taylor? Well, I think I'm just going to, to compliment on what Tyler, uh, Tyson's just said, because, okay, hire us and also understand that um, we come from very different backgrounds. So for instance, here in Brazil, the current number of transgender people studying like at university is 0.0. 0.3%. So, of course, if you want to have a diverse team of people, you are most likely going to find out that um, white cisgender males are going to be better qualified than trans women of color because they weren't given the, the same chances and the same opportunities. So, be willing to invest in those diverse voices as well, which starts with you know, see us, hire us, understand that you're going to have to, to invest in us. And the thing about um, uh, affirmative actions and, and when it comes to employment is that sometimes companies say, okay, I really want to hire a Black person or I really want to hire a person with special needs, but I'm not really getting any CVs or I'm not really getting anyone because you may need to invest in people a little bit more and, and help them grow to, to be the kind of professional that you want them to be or they need them to be. That is, that is brilliant. What a wonderful, like a, an amazing summing up there from, from everybody. So, you know, listen, pay and invest. Like it's, it seems, it seems like a, a fairly, simple way to to go and and let's be honest we know that publishers definitely have enough money to invest even if they even if they try and hardball us on every single thing that we do for them um except all the lovely publishers that i work with who all pay very well um anyway <laughs> this has been the for me the the perfect way to to sum up and and to kind of draw an end to this journey that has been one of of teachers talk radio for me um as i said at the start I've, I've spoken to you all on the show before and you've all really educated me in a huge way and inspired me in a huge way to do to do better and to be better so um when i am the head of a, a huge multinational i i will invest um but yeah i just want to say thanks to everybody for coming today <laughs> Thank you, and congratulations <laughs> on your yeah. um, very long and meaningful tenure. Thank you so much. Yes. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German, and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability, or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive.
in only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. It's time for a fresh... So that, ladies and gentlemen, was that. Uh, a huge thanks to Tyson, Taylor and Peter for coming on and, and sharing their thoughts, their ideas for, for what we can do to improve the voice of members of the LGBTQIA plus community. Another eye-opening episode. Um, and with that, it, it brings to an end my my career here at Teacher Talk Radio for now, because let's not say it's the end. Um, it, is, it is merely a pause. Uh, I hope to be back one day, if not as a, as a host. Maybe one day I'll even be invited on as a guest to, to share all of my wonderful knowledge accrued throughout the years of teaching and uh, working with particularly Renewable English. Um, so again, a huge thanks to all of the guests that have come on from Charlie, from Charlie's lessons in the first episode and Simon came on and I also spoke to Militza, um, all in my first three episodes way back when, two years ago. Uh, and then people like Vanessa Hartson Walker, who I've worked with an awfully long time. She came on and we had a, a big hit show about mindfulness. Um, Sylvina Maschitti was my 50th uh, episode and I've pronounced her name wrong about a thousand times. And I think I pronounced it wrong in every single different way possible. Um, so I, I, I hope she doesn't forgive me uh, and, uh, and tells me off for that when she listens back because she is wonderful. So do stay in touch. Uh, do follow Teachers Talk Radio on all of the social medias. Um, and of course, do take time to follow Renewable English as well as we move on into a new uh, Teachers Talk Radio-less era. Um, I have been lucky enough to, to learn from so many different people and get connections across the globe within ELT and outside of ELT. So a big shout out to all of those non-ELTers who also came on. Um, people like Amy Meek from Kids Against Plastic. I also had the word guerrilla, uh, Dave Bowden, who works in poetry and mindfulness. And of course, the opportunity to interview my best friend in the whole world, Tommy Francis, was one that could not be missed. So it has been a wonderful journey and an excellent two years. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Do stay in touch. Do keep in touch. And until the next time, it is goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.